Hello, this is Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on all matters property, supported by Fairview International, Property Consultancy and AuctionProperty.co.uk. Live every Sunday, 10am, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn and our website, PropertyMattersTV.co.uk. If you're watching on our website, leave us a Google review and if you're on the social media, then get involved in the conversation in the comments section below where you're watching us today. The email address if you've got some questions for us or of course discussion topics, it's hello at PropertyMattersTV.co.uk. Also, if you don't have time to watch the show live each week, you can listen on the move with our podcast version available on all those platforms you see over on the other side of the screen and that's available from there uh, Monday every morning at 10am. Just search Property Matters TV. TV where you get your podcasts from. Also live on Dilsey Radio as well. And let's take a look at our property questions this week on our anniversary show, would you believe? Joe, it was the 18th of October 2020 when this show first went out. So this makes this show, the 15th of October 23, our third anniversary. What say well, you? Congratulations to us. And of course, best of all, congratulations to our listeners who have had to <laughs> endure our whole Sunday morning for the last three years. Uh, of course, I would like to extend our thanks to our participants, um, uh, Bob Singh from Chess, Pop Chess uh, Mortgages, uh, who's always been a good uh, and regular contributor, yeah. um, and uh, Guy Charison, um, who has always been a great um, avid uh, contributor, as well as a listener and someone who has been providing good sound advice along the way. Lots of experience between the three of us. I think it equates to circa uh, 120 years, give or take. Um, <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> so, you know, if you, if you can't get it right between us from that point, and of course, you know, the one good thing about all of that, Paul, um, in, in those last three years, is for a man who was um, in media and presentation and all the good stuff that you do, you too have now become a master in property. Um, especially, <laughs> I certainly especially, know more than when we started, that's for sure. Especially, yeah, especially knowing that uh, you know, you've had to do all of the research and throw all those questions and bring all those charts. And so, so I'd like to extend a warm thank you to everyone that has participated, both the viewers and of course, the, uh, the, the people that have uh, been actually involved in getting the questions asked. But of course, I'd like to thank myself because I've been really put under a lot of pressure by all of them. <laughs> yes, you have. Would you like yeah. to see that very opening moment? Uh, come on then. Let's I'm going to play it whether you say yes or not. Yeah. <laughs> we can. Uh, thank you very much. Um, I'm really excited about this new home. Uh, and home is obviously the, uh, the pivotal subject uh, of the day. Um, and um, so uh, uh, what do they say about location, location, location? And here we are in our new one. So if people are joining us for the first time today on our new platforms, what can they expect from us each week? So Paul, the, the, the uh, whole idea of Property Matters is exactly what it says in the title. And that is that we will discuss all aspects, all matters relating to property. So there you are. That was the first moment, electrifying. <laughs> I didn't realise that my hair do have changed so much. <laughs> well, you're looking well on it, Joe. Anyway, let's get on with some uh, some questions that have been sent in to us uh, um, for this week. 
So Joe, first question this week, it says, hi, I purchased a second rundown property at the beginning of the year. I've done a full gut and refurb and it's almost complete. However, I have no idea what to do with it. It's now immaculate, it would sell or let easily. I own it outright, no mortgage, but with rates so high, it's not feasible for me to remortgage it and rent to get money back out of it. If I sell it, I'm going to be clobbered with CGT. If I let it, then my money's tied up in the property for the foreseeable future. Any help or advice appreciated. A common uh, situation a lot of people probably who are trying to build portfolios are facing. Yes, it's a very good question. Interesting question, actually, and has probably lots and lots of um, connotations, lots of views and lots of viewpoints on this. And I'm sure those that are avid um, property investors have learned in their journey the pitfalls, the do's and the don'ts, and the whys and the woes of, of what to do next, whether to keep it, whether to um, sell it on, whether to refinance it, um, what are the implications in terms of taxation, uh, etc. So, yeah, a lot to think about. Actually, at the outset of these things, it sounds really easy, and it just looks like, well, I can buy this, I can do it up, and I can do X, Y, Z. But of course, there's a lot of things that are involved in the background that you must also take into consideration. And uh, <clears throat> so it's a really good question that is brought and is, is a common question that is asked time and time again. Um, and again, it really matters on each individual's circumstances, what is right. So it's not one fits all. It's, a, it's, a, it's really much a tailor-made scenario for what they want to do. In this particular case, the gentleman's bought a property cash. Now, from the outset, that situation itself is very, very important to understand. It sounds good. It's a great idea. Cash is king and it gives empowers people to buy probably um, at a better price um, and puts them in a stronger position in order to win a, um, a, a, a deal, whether it's through auction or whether it's uh, on a private treaty basis. It just gives them that much more power. But one thing they must always take into consideration, <clears throat> in my mind, and I think um, it's, it's a valid point in this particular question, is that once he's bought for cash, um, that cash is tied um, for at least a minimum of six months, if not perhaps more, depending on what happens. And the reason I say it's tied is that um, it is the law that basically if you bought for cash, you cannot actually go back to uh, get it refinanced for at least a minimum of six months after you've shown that you own it on the register of the land registry, or, or you can actually go and refinance it, remortgage it, or, or borrow against it in any shape or form. Now that may um, be a question that you know everybody should really sort of question before they buy cash. Um, I always suggest that even if you can't buy on a mortgage basis, it's better to even bridge it for a short time, if necessary, for 12 months, um, because you're tying up all your money um, into one situation, which then actually sort of uh, prevents you to buy perhaps another opportunity that may arise. Um, so let's take, for example, £100,000 as, as, as a working thing. You bought a property for £100,000, that's your £100,000 locked plus all the costs, et cetera, that you do. Now then you need to fund or find the extra money to go and do the work to the property to bring it up to scratch in order to either resell it or let it or refinance it. But if you bought 
with £50,000 or £25,000 as a deposit and borrowed £75,000. At least you've got £75,000 liquid available to continue to do the work or perhaps consider investing in a, another property. Then you're not locked in. So that's, that's quite a crucial thing for people to think about. So cash is king. You are empowered. But I think, you know, do you want to lock it in for six months, maybe 12 months in some cases? Some lenders may allow it to, to refinance it after six months. Some may not even consider it for 12 months, depending where it is, what the valuation may be and what the circumstances are. So before you lock your money in, do take that into consideration. Then, of course, the next question is always about what to do and when to do it. And, and what are the implications? Well, there are CGT, there's a capital gains tax um, available. Obviously, the government wants to have a double bubble. You pay stamp duty, or perhaps if it's lower than the stamp duty threshold, you may not pay it. But if it's above stamp duty threshold, you're going to pay stamp duty and then you're going to pay CGT. So you need to consider all of the taxations that are liable. And obviously that's one of the reasons I suggest from the outset that you don't put all your eggs in one basket, don't buy cash, have that money available, um, and then you can go from there. Of course, all the costs and material costs, building, etc., etc., are tax deductible. So you are able to go and get most of the tax uh, taxes back um, for, for all the work that you've got to do. Um, so calculation and understanding and taking advice from a financial advisor whether it's good to sort of borrow money at the beginning or, of course, whether it's to stay in there. Of course, buy-to-let is the only other option available and you may not be able to get a buy-to-let mortgage on that property if you bought it outright cash, again, for a minimum of six months to 12 months, um, depending what it is. And then, it, then that has its own set of issues. So he does give some additional information. The purchase price was 83000 including the stamp duty and fees. Um, refurb was approximately uh, twenty three to 25000 It's 108. He says its value is around 180000 and would rent for either eight or £900 per calendar month. So there's uh, a fair um, whack of profit in there. And I guess really, I suppose the thing to think about is probably rent it while the rates are high. And then when the rates come down, then look at a mortgage. Yes, so the rates where we are now currently at 5.25, um, yeah, though it's seen to be perhaps bottomed out, I feel that we probably got another rate rise somewhere, depending on how the uh, um, inflation figures bow in the next you know, couple of months. Um, sometimes, I mean, obviously that's been good news this you know, time, this, at this moment in time. Um, but, you know, if, if it changes, then of course the rate could change. But um, I think we know that this is probably the common ground. Um, most lenders that I've been speaking to, brokers that I've been speaking to, have been saying that um, uh, lenders are considering uh, lowering their long-term interest um, so the margins are a bit better. Um, so, yes, it, it is worth considering. But, like I said, if you were bought it cash, you're not in a position to, to refinance it for a minimum of six months to 12 months anyway. So in the meantime, if you've spent all your money on it and it looks immaculate and you can get eight, nine hundred pounds a month, then of course your option is to rent it. Um, and of course you can use some of that rental income towards offsetting and some of it towards your own personal offsetting, uh, all based on advice from your financial advisor and of course your accountant. But in my opinion, you, you're probably uh, better off to rent it for 12 months or six months and refinance it 
the fear is always that you know you've spent a lot of money doing it up and you sort of think oh do i sell it because it looks immaculate now or or do i put so a tenant in there and have to start all over again because i might be unlucky with the kind, kind of tenant that goes in there that's the risk one takes when you are building a portfolio um on the other hand of course if you sell it and it's worth 180 or thousand pounds then uh, you will be liable for i think it's 28 percent uh, cgt give or take from the profits so the question is, have you actually really achieved a great deal? So you know, you've got to do your numbers. Yeah, and uh, we should just preface all of our remarks with the fact that we're no financial experts and what we say is not gospel or what you should do, but it's just our opinions and our views and uh, you really do need to do your own research on these matters. Let's take a look at another question, Joe. Hi, I'm moving in with my partner and renting out my property, which I have a mortgage on. Rent will be around 750 to 800 a month, but the mortgage will be around 560. I've never rented a property out before, so the process is quite new to me. I've looked at letting agents fees and some are quite high, £500 to find a tenant and then around 13% or more plus VAT uh, for the monthly management. I wanted to ask uh, whether you think this letting agency deals are worth it in your experience as uh, I'm a newbie to this. Currently weighing a few options up, but I don't know anyone in the property business personally, so was interested to hear other people's experiences. What's your thoughts, Joe? Yeah. Again, a very good question. It's, it's really down to numbers more than anything else and basically what value you put on your time. If you are able and you manage and deal with the properties, of course, you'll make that saving um, from uh, not using a letting agent. Nowadays, there's a lot of online facilities available um, and there are a lot of would-bes and could-be online experts that are providing um, things almost for next to nothing. Um, and so you could save yourself quite a bit of money. But if you haven't got the time, then you've got to put a price on your time. Um, so if you've got a good job and you're busy and you are going to get bombarded by your tenant for lots and lots of questions and things, you've got to say to yourself, is it worth me just giving it to an agent and taking that headache away? Or do I take it myself? So it's very much about a personal thing. But in terms of <clears throat> advice and guidance, always, um, not just because we are agents or I'm an agent and have done these things, you'd be surprised how much there is in the background that has to be dealt with um, more than you think. And, and sometimes, I mean, I've heard many people in, in my life and in journey in property who said they regretted not taking on an agent because the amount of time it takes to go and deal, especially at a distance. Now, if you're you know, local and your property and, and your partner's properties are around the corner, that's probably a little bit more <clears throat> manageable. But if you are in a different town, you've got to take into consideration uh, traveling time, going out, taking a day off, sorting things out, and maybe not actually concluding things in the same time. So a lot to take into consideration. But I, I would look at uh, the numbers again. The numbers never lie, time, distance, and a value on your own particular time. Yeah, as we've said before on this show, I mean, there's 170, I think it is, pieces of landlord legislation that you need to know about if you're doing all of this. And of course, there's huge fines if you if you don't comply. Um, and, but the, the other factor is, of course, have they let their uh, mortgage lender know that that's what their intention is? Because you do need to discuss that with your, uh, with your mortgage lender, don't you, if you're going to change the circumstances? Absolutely. You need consent from your mortgage lender. <clears throat> I have to say almost 90% of the people never do, uh, but that is the correct uh, way to do it. Um, and to be honest with you, there's no reason why they should say no, 
But the chances are what they will say, your lender will say probably, is that, that you know, now that you're renting the property out, our rate may vary. And if that rate varies from an ordinary mortgage to a, a, perhaps a buy-to-let or a higher risk rate that the lender thinks is what's got to be done, then you need to make sure that uh, you, you account for that. Um, so, you know, a lot of people tend not to tell the lender because they know that they're going to end up having an extra cost. Um, and it may be that you need to investigate what that cost could be before you decide uh, whether you do tell or you don't tell the lender because you need to um, account for it if in the, in the event the lender does find out that you are renting it out and you're not living there yourself, then you need to know that you might have to pay a back rate uh, of what that charge may have been. So, you know, uh, just take heed, really. Make sure that you've uh, covered yourself in every possible way. There are plenty of people that say that they can get deals, of course. 13% uh, does seem, uh, I, I've always seen it as around sort of 12 or 13%. There are people that say, oh, I can get it for 10 or 7% and £175, so slightly more for a finder's fee, etc. But I guess it's probably true in your experience, Joe, I'm guessing that you pay, get what you pay for. Always. It's, it's a, you know, like I said, you can do all of this yourself um, and, of course, do it for next to nothing and then risk the fact that you have maybe made that one little mistake not uh, you know you can't put that pressure on someone else if you've made it whereas at least if you have a fallback situation you go to a professional someone that has an established portfolio in the area managing it and dealing with it maybe an established agent in some cases um, but certainly it's something that you've got to take you know uh, caution in who you use there are lots of agents and agents will do lots of deals and, and I'm sure you'll find a mar far, far more attractive deal than the one you, you're, you're talking about at this moment in time. Um, and so shop around. It's like everything else, you know, as, you, as you say rightly, Paul, you know, it's what you pay for, you get what you pay for. Yeah, you've got your EPC, your EICR, um, you've got your smoke detectors and heat detectors, you've got your consent to let from your mortgage uh, uh, bar, um, lender. So uh, there's quite a bit. And of course, even then, there's differences between Wales, Scotland and England <laughs> in terms of regional variances. It just doesn't well, seem worth it for the money, does it really, personally? Well, that, anyway. that's, that, that's why I said from the outset that uh, it is the case of putting time and value on your own time and, uh, and, and covering all those legislations and making sure that you are protected in the best possible way. Um, and yes, of course, it's like anything. You, you know, you're trying to maximise your return. But sometimes that maximizing your return in the long term could actually mean no return because you could end up having to spend a lot of money trying to either evict or deal with legally or do any of those things. You know, and then everything that you think you've made will go in one swoop, just gone, you know, and more perhaps um, in order to make sure that you can cover. So, yes, do, do take good advice, good guidance. Um, it's very, very important. And uh, yeah, cheapest aren't always the best. Let's move on to uh, another question. Um, this one is, um, any tips on how to approach a tenant about rent increases whilst they're coming up to the end of their annual tenancy agreement? I have a great tenant and I'm hoping she will be a long-standing tenant. I am planning to increase it by 8.5%. 
I'm seeing properties in my area asking more than my current rent that are not as nicely presented. Should I ring a few EAs, estate agents, to see what the going rates are in my area, as well as mention this to the tenant as a way of justifying I'm increasing it due to what the going rate is in the area? Uh, should I mention my mortgage rate has increased and therefore need to review the rent? There are three months left before the tenancy agreement expires. When is a good time to discuss this and should it be done in writing? I've never had to do this before. And by the way, this will be the tenant's first year living in the house. Any advice will be gratefully appreciated. Good question again, Joe. Hmm. You're really putting me on the, on the, on the spot today, aren't you? Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to be kind on this anniversary show, but it doesn't <laughs> no seem chance. like there's no chance of that happening. Um, yes, of course, a very good question uh, again. And uh, I believe that um, communication, uh, as I've always said, is the answer to the problem. And if you are uh, a good landlord uh, and have a good relationship with your tenant from the outset, um, things can be fairly uh, smooth and easygoing if you build the questions of increase and any changes that you're looking to do from the outset. Most people have this issue um, of increasing and, and they think they have the right to do, which of course in most tenancy agreements, it gives you the right to do it. It's just always about how you do it. Um, and I think uh, if you are thinking about an increase, then th uh, from the outset, when you signed them up a year ago, you would have actually, either you or your estate agent or your letting agent would have said to the tenant, there's your tenancy agreement. By the way, look at this such and such, such clause. You are likely to see an increase of, you know, whatever that percentage might be that's in there uh, towards the end of the year. I'm just warning you now to put that in mind. I think the shock comes when somebody hasn't read it, um, thinks they've got a great thing, moves on, starts to live their life. And then three months prior, somebody sort of whacks you with this uh, increase. You think, well, hang on a minute. How did that come about? But we understand that currently with the uh, state of the economy and um, you know uh, cost of living, etc., these things are being used all the time. But I have come across where people have never used it. It's been part of it. Tenants have been there for maybe three, four, five years, and all of a sudden they think, oh, "Hang on a minute, I've got a clause in my thing. I can go and whack this up." Um, and that is a recipe for disaster because obviously, a the tenant. You know, in their mind, they probably know it's coming at some stage. It's all about how it's coming. Now, if that was conversation that was held maybe, you know, two, four, five, six, and 12 months ahead and saying, look, you know, the economy is tough. It's going to get tough. I'm trying to keep it sustained. However, some things are not going to be in my hands. We need to sort of think about it. We need you to think about it. We're going to have to look at this, have to look at that. I think most people are a lot easier to, to deal with. But if you are doing these increases, you do, my suggestion is you have a you know ongoing dialogue, whether it's direct or through your agent um, or email to make sure there is a paper trail of some sort, communication trail of some sort to say that you have actually had this conversation. If it, the book becomes on the other foot, let's say they say no, and you've got to take them to court, um, and the court will ask you the same questions. How did you deal with this? Why did you do it? What time was it? You know, and, and in what form of communication? So communication in writing form, email, you know, is, is a good thing to have for your, you know, worst nightmare. And that is when you have to think about eviction and if things don't work out and he doesn't pay the money and he, he, he argues with you or she argues with you and said, I don't want to increase my uh, rent. You can't do this. I'm not in a position to do it. 
and before you know it you end up with a broken communication so always put things in writing have some sort of email process so that you've got a, a trail um, and um, and approach it in that way but yes um, most uh, assured short-haul tenancy agreements do have it in there built in that they can uh, expect a rise an annual rise of a given percentage yeah you can't go just willy-nilly changing the rent in the middle of a contract you've got to do it at the end of the contract and give a month's notice haven't you and you've got the rent review clause as you say in the AST to look at um, and that will guide you because that should be very clear about when the re re rent is reviewed how the increase will be calculated um, and whether or not it's open to negotiation even in some agreements and then of course you've got the section 13 notice which gives them the opportunity once they receive that to um, take it to a tribunal if necessary yes i mean that, that's why i said that be prepared in your communication because the section 13 can take you to a tribunal and when you get to that stage <clears throat> immediately the judge or whoever's sitting in front of you is going to ask the question of you know how did you arrive at this and, and what was the format and what was the communication and what op op opportunities did you give what offers did you make how did that come about and if it shows that you've done all the right things that your tenant's been awkward then of course things will be in your favor but if you haven't done them correctly then they unfortunately they will fall in the tenant's favor and and there is a higher chance that most things fall in the tenant's favor than the landlord's um, primarily because the, the government do not have enough accommodation to rehouse anybody that comes out of these scenarios and they will do their utmost to make sure that they remain in that property. What about the notion that if you've got a good tenant just be grateful for who you've got and just leave the rent alone and, and just um, bask in the fact that you've got <laughs> no voids? Mm. I have to say that I, 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 as an individual and personally, have suffered that situation myself because, you know, I know that I've had a tenant and I've probably been um, a bit laxy-daisy in thinking to myself, well, they're good people, you know, um, everything gets done on time, uh, the place is kept clean, I don't get any hassle from the neighbours, the cars aren't the issue, you know, none of that. And you kind of think, you know, just let it be. but. Unfortunately, when <clears throat> when the current situation occurs, when mortgages become much higher than perhaps even your income or rent, that dialogue becomes really challenging. And so, from a personal experience, I you know in future would make sure that all of those things are not emotionally driven; they are financially driven. And because we do do these things as emotional, you think, well, everything's okay. We don't want to upset them. Money comes in; it gets dealt with. is It's not a headache. But the, the headache becomes when it's now no longer in your control and, you know, the rent, the rates have gone up, the rents have gone up and all of a sudden you say to yourself, well, what am I going to do? Well, you actually knock on the door and say, I'm going to put your rate up, rent up and they say, well, I've got the money, what are you going to do about it sort of thing? So, you know, that unfortunately that wasn't the case. Um, um, we, we had a good dialogue and, and, and ultimately that was dealt with in the, in the right possible way for all parties. But... I have been there and I would certainly say to you that communication is definitely the big thing in this. You've got to let them know from the outset and you've got to take the emotion out of the business. It is a business at the end of the day, if you're, if you're doing a rental property, it is a business. The boot on the other foot is, is also for their rights. So if you don't do it correctly, they will use their rights and you will be the one that will suffer for it. 
Let's move on to our fourth and final question for this anniversary show. Hello, looking to uh, for some general thoughts and advice, please. I have a small three-bedroom semi, which has the bathroom downstairs off the kitchen. I remember those well. Uh, the toilet is separate downstairs elsewhere. It also has a toilet and a sink in one of the bedrooms. The property is in very good and popular, uh, in very good condition, uh, and a popular area. Great schools, bars, restaurants, etc. Would you move the bathroom upstairs, utilising the toilet and sink, making the main room small, ten by eight-ish? The other rooms are ten by eight and nine by six. Or would you use the smaller bedroom and make a generous bathroom, making it a two-bed property? It's a large garden, not overlooked, and off-road parking. Currently a rental, but thinking of selling. My thoughts our bathroom downstairs will deter many. Now that's an interesting proposition. What's your thoughts, Joe? Well, this is a historical issue, isn't it? <clears throat> I mean, of course, back in the days, all the bathrooms were downstairs, as were the kitchen, known as the scullery. And uh, in some cases, we never had any bathrooms. It was probably a toilet outside in the... ...toilets were... Um, actually outside rather than even on the inside of the property um, and they would have probably have a tin tub in the in the <laughs> bar in, in the kitchen um, hence the quarry floors that we used to have uh, so that it made it drainage a lot easier and you could splash away so I, I get it from the start from from the type of property that you're, you're looking at all depends on location Paul at the end of the day if if you were in town and this, this sounds like a property that is you know, in London somewhere, and it's a good area, schooling's good, and so forth, then you have to look at what the values are. The different values may be based on a two-bedroom with an upstairs bathroom or a three-bedroom with a, a bathroom downstairs um, and, and some sort of facilities upstairs. Uh, the, the, the modern world is very much about uh, the two floors working um, in sync, so, you know, the two bedrooms upstairs, two generous bedrooms and a very nice bathroom upstairs probably will do just as well in terms of value because of the convenience and then utilizing the downstairs, perhaps more skillfully providing extra living space, um, open plan kitchen diner into the living room, etc., and maybe a downstairs cloakroom with a separate wash basin or maybe even some sort of a shower cubicle downstairs. So you had that sort of second fallback scenario from upstairs and downstairs um, in the property. <clears throat> but I would certainly think it's all about the location. If the location warrants the price uh, for a, a two bedroom is as good as, if not better than having a three bedroom with a bathroom downstairs or a two bedroom bathroom upstairs, do your research, call call the local agency and get some views. To be honest with you, most things can be done online nowadays. You can go on to our regular um, you know, portals like Zoopla, Rightmove, uh, On The Market, and, and do your research on that and see what the others are going for. But it's about your personal taste and what somebody will require. If it's done correctly, done well, um, and, and, and shows that you've cared, you will probably get a good value for it. It also is the same for rental. Now, if you have the two for the two bathroom facility, one downstairs, upstairs, and two bedrooms, then normally it allows for perhaps somebody to be a sharer um, uh, the, you know, the owner or the, or the main tenant to have the facilities upstairs and perhaps the second person to have the facilities downstairs just so that they've got their independence. So um, nothing out of sync, just about research and location, I would think. 
it's kind of kind of uh, quite a common problem, isn't it? Because when a lot of houses, um, particularly more modern houses, when they've extended over the garage, you know, the typical three bed detached and they extend over the garage, that becomes a large property upstairs with four bedrooms. But of course, you've still got the small three bedroom size for, say, the kitchen uh, and maybe even the dining room. Uh, so the, the, the upstairs and the downstairs can get out of kilter. Yeah, they have. They we call that top heavy. Uh, it is, you know, heavy at the top, nice and well spread, and of course, <clears throat> thinned out at the bottom. But if you have a situation where they've actually built adjacent and above the garage, then a lot of people convert the garage into another room um, downstairs, or or, or, a, or a den, or a study, or a dining room, and attach it to the kitchen. Um, of course, you should get planning permission, uh, for building regulations to make sure it's done. But I've often seen when I've pulled up at a house with a garage door on the front of it, but inside they've converted it um, so that uh, nobody knows that there is no garage there anymore. Yeah. And they've got actually a living room inside or, or a study area. So it's it's all possible. But these, these are the flexibilities, not only in older houses, but equally in the new houses that happen. Because now new houses are always top heavy. Um, obviously, they try and do a, a lounge, kitchen, dining, open plan, all in one shot, uh, which makes it extremely difficult. We know that we had these questions, actually, and ironically, it was quite an interesting thing going back through COVID when people actually started to work from home and all of a sudden they were all in the same room, but they actually never really realized that they needed a, another room. Um, and now... You know, mum and dad were at home because, you know, the office was telling them they had to work from home. The kids were yeah. home because their schools were closed and it was party time and nobody could do anything. So they all ended up in rooms and bedrooms. And, and so we had the race for space and everybody legging it out because they thought we need to move out. So, you know, it's not sometimes it's sometimes it's those things that actually make you stop and think and go, God, I should have had an extra room downstairs. But uh, whilst we have a race for space, we have also a, a problem with space in the UK being an island. <laughs> we, we, we can only build so much and, and deal with so much. Well, it's been a fascinating anniversary issue, our three years, 156, I think it is, programmes in that time. Um, and uh, thank you very much for sticking with us and uh, joining us every week on our show. And we look forward to seeing you again another time on Property Matters. <laughs> <laughs>